0: Want the package being delivered hello out there on the internet i am matthew galt this is cyber in 2016 americans working in cuba began to experience something strange something that is to this day unexplained they felt a pressure in the brain a ringing in the ear and in the aftermath a distressing sense of fatigue this is havana syndrome a mysterious ailment that felled spies and diplomats alike It remains a mystery to this day, one the U.S. government has a hard time talking about, let alone understanding. Sometimes it sounds like a frightening new weapon, other times like a classic moral panic. But what was it really? Will we ever know? This is all the subject of a new podcast from Vice World News called Havana Syndrome. Over the course of the show's nine episodes, it unpacks not just the mysterious syndrome, but a history of spy and counter-spy, the CIA and America's complicated relationship Cuba. With us here to talk about it today is series producer Jesse Alejandro Cottrell. Sir, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and talking about this with us.
1: No, thanks for having me.
0: All right, so for the uninitiated, uh,
1: what was or is, I guess, Havana Syndrome? Uh, That's the million-dollar question. What is Havana Syndrome? Uh, I, I wish I could give you a a great like uh answer for that but but I'll tell you what what's widely known and referred to as Havana syndrome is uh what well, started in late twenty sixteen when a group of c i a officers or spies in Cuba began began having these strange inexplicable symptoms um ringing in their ears, they were hearing weird sounds um they were feeling nausea often very acute and then something kind of like a serious concussion would happen to them it would kind of come out of nowhere and would last but the the symptoms would per- progressively get worse and sometimes um i mean in some cases for some of these people have continued to plague them years later um this started off with a small group of cia officers and diplomats in cuba and since then uh since late 2016 incidents of the case have spread across the world or at least reportings of the case uh um have have spread around the world uh, to a number of different countries us officials have reported having these symptoms feeling hearing the sound feeling this pressure in their head having these symptoms in places as far away as china russia colombia um austria um and to this day no one really knows what it is or what's causing it. And some people question if it's even real.
0: So I want to set the show up for everybody because it's not just about Havana syndrome. Uh, you kind of use Havana syndrome to break into a wider discussion about like relations with Cuba and like how the spy game works in the modern era uh, and like what Cuban counterintelligence is like. Um, so I, I was curious as I was listening to it, when y'all started out, was it a conscious conscious idea to like go in and kind of tell the story of Cuba's relationship with America? Or was that just kind of something that developed over time as you were
1: uh, as you started doing the story? I mean, that that was always going to be part of the story it, from right from the outset. It was part of the story, uh, you know, irrespective of of our podcast. When news of this broke in twenty seventeen, um The relationship between Cuba and the United States, the historical relationship, the contemporary one, was always a very important part of the story because it wasn't just anyone who was getting sick. It was spies in Cuba, uh, a a decades-long nemesis of the United States. These were people who were getting sick. And it, it, it happened during a very sensitive time. In this budding relationship between these two countries. If you remember in, um, late 2016, the United States and Cuba were attempting to become friendlier with each other. Um, you could go visit Cuba as a tourist, you know, if you're for the United States, much more easily. Uh, President Obama at the time had loosened restrictions on sending money to the country and, um, so the Cubans, the Cuban government in the United States were, were actively engaged in this negotiation of, of how do we repair decades of, uh, ill will towards each other. And so for these spies, for U.S. spies and diplomats to get sick in Havana, in a place that's so tightly controlled by the Cuban government, where the Cuban government knows just about everything that happens on the island, um, it, it it's just it was shocking to people. Why would this happen here? Why would this happen now? Why would if the Cubans know about it or if they're behind this, why? Uh so that that was and you and you you can't really even begin to consider the answer to those questions until you start going back into the history of of why this enmity between these country countries has existed for decades and who are the power players. The CIA, the different presidents, the State Department, the Castros, and what their motivations would be for, for engaging in this kind of behavior. So that that was always going to be part of the podcast. Can you tell
0: the, the 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 counter spy spy context in which all of this stuff starts I thought was very fascinating. Um thinking specifically of like it almost it, it almost feels like um, college pranks that go just a little too far Yeah, uh, when we're talking about like, what, what happens to you if you are a known intelligence asset, uh, operating in Cuba? Like, how are you treated? Can you kind of get into that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the, I think, <laughs> I think that that is a very apt comparison. Uh, a lot of the, the harassment that spies inflict upon each other, uh, is kind of juvenile. It, it does feel like college pranks. I mean, um, you you hear, we heard numerous stories from people who were spies on the island um, about uh, U.S. spies on, uh, in Cuba. Things like, uh, of harassment, things like someone clearly coming into their apartment while they were there and taking a shit and not flushing the toilet, you know, taking a, or shitting on their beds. Or... Um, Leaving the window open so that mosquitoes would go into their into their apartments while they're out or, um, uh, yeah, those sorts of things. And and. And the thing about it, the the thing about that kind of harassment is often it was designed to be kind of ambiguous because you could say, oh, well, did maybe did I just take a crap this morning in the toilet and forget the flush, or did my wife or was this someone coming from outside and doing this? But sometimes there were um, harassment was, especially in 2016, the harassment had begun to ramp up. Um, So it started it kind of started to go from this juvenile, ambiguous stuff to stuff that was a lot more intense and less ambiguous. For instance, there was a gay CIA officer undercover down there, and he was finding um, gay epithets written onto his car. and Uh, there are stories of someone, someone coming home and finding uh, a scorpion taped into the inside of their shirt. So and someone's dog got stabbed. And so these kind of, you know, um, by 2016, the, the harassment had begun to ramp up from the kind of silly and a little funny and, you know, kind of asshole ish to like more serious stuff. And so when Havana syndrome, when these, spies started to get sick, uh, many people saw this as a continuation of this ramping up of harassment that spies were facing on the island. How do you get spies to sit down for an interview? I mean, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky because for a number of reasons, one, there are certain things that they can legally not say, you know, there's certain things that they're class that, that are classified. And so when you're engaged in these conversations with spies, it's always a fine line. I mean, as a journalist, you're asking every question, but they'll tell you certain things are off limits or, or you'll ask questions and they'll tell you, like, I can't talk about that to get them to talk to us in the first place. I mean, one of our main sources in the episode two of our series, one of the first people to come down with Havana syndrome, he will not let us use his name. Um, and, and, you know, you will not hear his name on our podcast Um And so we had to give him anonymity. I mean, you hear his voice, but you don't hear his name. And he he did not tell us he was a spy. We found that out from other sources. He told us generally the kind of harassment that he faced, but he never told us that he was a spy. And so often when you're talking to these people, there are these very tricky lines you have to walk. And um, um, and yeah, you just you have to (laughs) you've got to make them feel comfortable enough to to believe that you'll, you know, keep their secrets. I mean, and, and on our side as journalists, we have to be very careful with their information, right? Like we can't, we're commuting, if we're ever communicating with their real names, we're doing it over more secure uh, communication networks so that, so that, you know, if we get subpoenaed someday, you know, the, the US government can't easily delve into our documents and figure out who are the real identities of these people that we spoke to. We have a responsibility to them. And so we, you know, we, we take that stuff very seriously. On the other hand, there were some people we we spoke to a spy, a former spy, this guy, Mark Polymeropoulos, who um, who was hit with Havana syndrome or who he thinks was hit with Havana syndrome in Russia. And he he was very public and he used his real name and he admitted he wouldn't tell us exactly what he was doing as an undercover spy around the world. But by the time we spoke to him, he had kind of come out of the shadows, was working kind of above board. Um, not as an undercover spy anymore. And so we were we were able to talk to him and he was able to speak a little more freely because he, his identity was already revealed.
0: I've got another question from chat that I think uh, does a pretty good job of honing in on some recent changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know US people were going to Cuba via Canada and Mexico. Is that still happening? Uh, the answer would be,
1: it doesn't need to happen that way anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, you can, there are direct flights, Um, you don't need to go. I mean, I, I believe I'm not, I'm not up to date on the latest, latest, uh, changes in the policy that the Biden administration has put into place. But from what I understand, and and don't fact check me on this, please. I mean, I guess fact check me, you've got the internet. So why wouldn't you fact check me? But I believe the latest is that you still have to say, you can't just go there as a tourist. You have to say you're going there for educational purposes or some other reason. Um, you
0: know. Right. But I mean, the, the point being that like this, the Havana syndrome stuff comes at a time when the, one of the things the Obama administration did was really push for a normalization of, uh, yeah. of relations, right? Like we had, there was an embargo. There was, it was kind of frozen between the two countries and the, the relationship had been frozen for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have this huge sea change and then this thing starts, Right. Yeah. Um, were you ever able to figure out how many answers did you get to the question? What is Havana syndrome?
1: How, how many answers? I mean, we got, <laughs> I mean, there are, there are a dozen a- answers out there that range from this is a ray gun using a novel energetic technology uh microwave technology that can scram that can be attuned to scramble people's brain from afar and is a kind of a perfect weapon we've heard that from very 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 credible people have told us that people who are like decades long uh, weapon technologists in the US government helping them develop laser literally laser guns so we've heard things like that to you know, we've, there are doctors out there, people who are very credible people who who claim that this is all psychosomatic, that this is a mass, mass psychogenic illness. Um, I will, as a, as a caveat to that, I will say that none of the doctors who have actually examined patients think that this is psychogenic. Every doctor who has actually spoken to and tested these patients thinks that this is a real, um, that their symptoms are caused by some physical uh force or some 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 physical phenomena that that is not this is not purely psychogenic Um, but then there are also people who say it's a sound people who say that this is like insecticides i mean there are so many different theories and none of them have been completely disproven
0: with it's the it's the sound of crickets catching in just the right way and being amplified and
1: yeah sort of strange things you know that that for me that doesn't hold a lot of water because that doesn't i mean for a couple of reasons like that doesn't the sound the how come only us spies are being affected by these crickets and secondly um sound cannot hurt the brain it can hurt the ear but it cannot hurt the brain so and and there is there is evidence produced by uh the university of pennsylvania that did that that studied a a wide swath of these these patients who suffered havana syndrome that found that there is like um verifiable changes to people's brains um, yeah you, so I, I got a whole can, lot of hard can
0: you walk me a little bit more through the immediate and then the lasting
1: symptoms and like is everyone telling sure. the same story? Well, no, they're not. And that's that's a tricky thing about it. It is everyone doesn't have the same experience with Havana syndrome. And um like I said, uh well, I should say the the initial cohort was in 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 Cuba. We don't have an exact number, but I think it was around two dozen people, maybe a little less, a few few less. Um but just a few years ago, the number had ballooned up to over a thousand people around the world that the government was was looking into as potential Havana syndrome cases. And, you know, those symptoms were ver- were very were varied, huge variance in between the symptoms. Um and a lot of those cases around the world have has subsequently been ruled out as not uh, Havana syndrome by the government. Um but but the most widely kind of agreed upon um definition of what havana syndrome symptoms are for the cases that do seem like they are the result of this mysterious illness is um what you hear often not from everyone but from many people is that they hear some kind of high-pitched buzz some some loud sound and often dogs are barking like in the in the area um and then they hear they feel a pressure in their head an intense pressure and waves of anxiety begin to sweep over them they become disoriented um and uh kind of frozen in place and um and what we've heard from a number of people is that once they once they move from whatever location they were at if they were standing in place if they moved into another room if they they were in their bed when this happened to them if they rolled off the bed on the floor that those feelings would cease um, and so that's one reason that a lot of people think that this may be a weapon, because it seems like something's targeting them, that it's maybe a beam of some kind. And if they move out of the way of the beam, then they're, then these symptoms stop. Those are the initial symptoms. What, what has happened in many of the cases of these people who have suffered this thing is that over the course of months and sometimes and, and often even years, their symptoms get worse. And so... Kind of uh the, the, a brain fog sets in with many of these people who can no longer do their jobs, who are physically impaired, whose balances suffer, who have a hard time walking, who who are very photosensitive to light, who can't be in bright rooms um, and and so over the years, these symptoms have completely or like significantly debilitated many of these people to the point where they've either had to go on to early retirement or it's really hurt their careers and, and kind of destroyed their lives.
0: All right. Cyber listeners want to pause there for a break. We'll be right back. Uh, Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment. Every time they see it. Can you walk me through, earlier you said that uh, like medical, you know, people have examined them. What does it look like in their brains and bodies? What has changed?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, because all these people are still alive, (laughs) no one's died from uh, Havana syndrome or no one who has Havana syndrome has died. You you can't just give an autopsy and and, like cut their brains open and look at them. It's kind of like a CTE situation where like you can only be. They're only going to know so much from like a, from, you know, whatever kind of scans that they can do to the brains. But um, what they what they found is that like stretching and this there are these things in your brain called axons, which are if you could think of them as the kind of like electro if if you have electric electricity moving around your brain, the axons, if you think of the electricity as the train, the axons are like the train track. They are the ones that um, these axons um, literally transport electricity around your brain. And when these things get stretched, what happens during a concussion is these things actually get stretched out when your brain moves very quickly because you've been hit or just because your head twists very quickly, which can happen in a car accident. These axons actually get stretched. And when those things get stretched, a number of really bad things happen in your brain um such as the symptoms I was discussing earlier, but that can, that leads to that releases some sort of chemical in the blood stream that is detectable. So that is kind of how they're the scientists um uh, detected that something had happened in the brain. Now there are a number of other um tests that they ran on these patients that also detected that something happened in their brain without actually having to look at the brain. So they can, depending on how your eyes move, but they, there are some way, like they, they tested how these people's eyes were able to kind of move independently of each other and found that their eyes were moving in a way that that they simply cannot, your eye, you cannot move your eyes in particular manners if your brain is functioning correctly. And these people's eyes were moving in a very aberrant fashion. And so tests like these, that they were running on them and on their like balance, things like this, that there are no ways to fake. You can't fake your this aberrant eye movement. They're like, oh, this is clearly what well, the only what, – what the lead researcher doctor told us about this kind of eye movement is that the only time he'd ever seen anything like that before was with concussion or uh, traumatic brain injury. So there had been some
0: sort of pressure and change in the brain. Something was affecting the brain, and it looked yeah, like a concussion.
1: Yeah, that's – I mean the, the scientists and, and doctors who have studied this most closely, that is – that's what they've – Determined, yeah. Take me down
0: uh, the directed energy slash microwave rabbit
1: hole. Yeah, it's a deep one. Um, so the United States and a few other countries around the world, most notably the USSR and now Russia, have for decades invested lots of money into trying to uh, create directed energy weapons, lasers, uh lasers and also microwave weapons they're both energy weapons just different frequencies um and for the most part a lot of that research hasn't gone anywhere or at least as far as we know um but uh over the years there have been a number of instances where where strange stuff has happened around microwaves for instance the u.s embassy in moscow was bathed with microwaves that the u.s government was pretty sure the russians were were pointing at the u.s embassy for for years and to this day no one knows exactly what the russians were doing why they were bathing the u.s embassy in moscow in radio waves there are a number of different i mean you listen to our podcast we spoke to uh, the former ambassador to the ussr from the united states who had his theory um of of why they were doing that Uh, but we spoke to other people who had different theories um On our podcast, we spoke to two different weapons researchers for the United States government, people who had worked in the military developing high energy weapons. And they could only tell us so much because a lot of this stuff is classified. But um, what we found out is that these high energy weapons are, uh, that this technology is out there and it's more feasible than than is widely known. For instance, and you can actually go look for this, this, there's an old episode of 60 Minutes from the late 2000s where I believe it was the army was showing the reporter this new uh, microwave weapon that looked like, it looked like a satellite dish and you pointed at someone from like half a mile away and you press a button and it shoots microwaves out them. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything, but the person who's who, who has the, the antenna pointed at them, all of a sudden feels like their skin is on fire. And uh, the reporter, you know, tried this out and had to move immediately. And that was just microwaves. And uh, and so this kind of technology is out there. there the, a similar weapon was deployed for just a week by the Obama administration, I believe in Iraq, and may have been Afghanistan, but was quickly taken off the board because the United States government did not want to be the first government to um, publicly use energy weapons in war. And so these weapons are out there. Uh, there are a number of reasons why these weapons are not more widely used the the, the main reason is energy it, it takes a ton of energy to like produce the kind of laser that could cut you in half or uh you know microwave that can make you feel like your skin is burning on a, like from very far away like it's a lot of energy and they haven't figured out exactly how to power that yet it's very like it doesn't seem very practical for use in a, in a war environment but what what if there's a lot we don't know there's a lot that's classified and the Russians. And the United States have continued to develop this technology. So the theory out there, like the leading theory for what Havana syndrome is within the United States government, that of many people we spoke to, is that it's Russia. And that Russia has developed this weapon that uses microwave energy and that they've they figured out how to tune it to someone's brain and to scramble their brains. Now, big caveat, there's no smoking gun on this. And there are plenty of people in the U.S. government who's, who say, who will not say that, who will say that's not true. and I I'm not saying I believe that or we believe that that is just probably the leading theory right now. It feels like in it, I'm not uh, a
0: classified weapons expert but it feels like there's so many impediments to like some sort of directed energy weapon being the answer like how much brick and wood is between the person and the and the sender Right. And is that interrupt? it is just like the, the flow of a direct energy weapon mm-hmm. interrupt that. Like, how do you resonate a brain through a wall in a very directed way?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about microwaves is that they are bigger waves like lasers would be tougher because the waves laser waves are so small. They They like they have to burrow through atoms that's why they like can cut things like physically cut things because they're so tiny but microwaves are much bigger waves that's why they can they can go through doors that's why i mean r- microwaves are on the radio you know radio wave spectrum and like are part of the spectrum and that's why you can listen to the radio inside of your house right like your those those things can pass through walls i will say though that like one of the things that we f- that a number of the people who got sick well, um, the first person we spoke to, Tina Onifer, who's a, a State Department employee, she was standing by her kitchen window um, when she f- first felt the effects of the what what we call the Havana syndrome. She walked into another room, got behind a wall, and those effects suddenly stopped, which would lead one to believe that perhaps that wall did stop the that beam. If, the, if there was, in fact, a beam pointed at her, maybe that's what stopped her from feeling the effects of that.
0: Right. What about, I know that this is, this is a, a popular theory, um, that this is some form of mass panic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think there are some very good arguments out there for, for this being mass panic. And, and I mean, certainly I think, like I t- like I said earlier, over a thousand th- uh, once the U.S. government kind of got serious about confronting this and 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 acknowledging that this was a, a real threat to U.S. personnel abroad, they put out uh, uh, cast a wide net to the entire government of you know U.S. officials abroad and said, if you're having anything that you you think might be Havana Syndrome-like symptoms, I mean they don't they don't use the term Havana Syndrome, they don't call it that. That's that's what we call it. But um, if you're having these anomalous health effects, um, let us know and. There were over a thousand reported cases, and a lot of those cases were people who, like, probably had something bad for lunch. Maybe were having, you know, maybe had some other neurological issue going on, or like, you know, like food poisoning. Like, they they just didn't get enough rest. Maybe they were feeling a lot of anxiety, and certainly those. I, I don't know if that would qualify as mass psychogenic illness, but those were cases where people thought they might have a venus syndrome, where they definitely didn't have. I mean, there were very there were other reasons that, um, to explain that um, for the people, for the kind of core cases, as as we're calling them, that the cases in Cuba uh, of these these people who had similar symptoms and got sick around the same time, the kind of first um, group of of people who who had Havana syndrome. I think the mass psychogenic illness argument kind of falls apart for them because the thing is, as many of them got sick with very similar symptoms around the same time, but Hamana syndrome wasn't public knowledge. they didn't know that this was happening for a lot of them i mean the the first tranche of cases in late december twenty sixteen and early twenty seventeen these are people who got very who who started to get sick independently of each other without knowing about each other so So for mass psychogenic illness to work, there has to be uh contamination amongst people who are talking to each other about oh i'm feeling this and then you know you say you're feeling this and all of a sudden i start feeling the same thing that you're feeling but if 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 you haven't told me about it how is that how is that you contaminating me you know that contamination did not occur in many of the cases secondly i would say to the mass psychogenic illness argument is that um the doctors who the doctors who said these people I, i've met some of the doctors you know i met the kind of a lead researcher, Dr. at University of Pennsylvania, who studied these people. Um, And he said, he told us that he, he and his team were skeptical when, when they first heard about this before they met the patients, they kind of, they kind of thought it sounded weird. And upon meeting them and studying them and doing these, testing their physical abilities and testing these things that cannot just be mental, but have to be physical in nature. They were, they were sure that this was not psychogenic. And then on just on a personal level, I have met a number of the people who have suffering from this illness, people who they can't walk down the hallway without putting their hands out to steady themselves as they're walking down the hall, people who can't be in rooms with too much light, people who have like whose memories are obliterated, couldn't can't tell you what happened yesterday. And like years later, and these people are still sick with this thing. I mean, it, it strains credulity to uh, believe that this this is like for these people anyways, that it's mass psychogenic illness, at least for me. I mean, other people still believe that, but but I don't I don't see it, at least for at least for those cases.
0: Where all did it spread and are there core uh, core cases, as you call them, that happened
1: outside of Havana? Um, It's unclear because that terminology core cases is. Is, is terminology that we're kind of using from the government that the government has used, but uh, it's unclear, which if, if the core cases that the government, that the government's is using those terms for how many of them are in Havana and how many of them are abroad, because there are, there were, there were also a couple of other pretty major outbreaks in Austria and in China where no, a number of people got sick, two people got sick simultaneously in, um, in London and they were in the same room and seeing each other happen with each other while this was happening to white house officials. And so in cases like that, that are hard to disprove and have very similar symptoms to Havana syndrome or to the, to the cases in Havana, I would be surprised if those, if the government wasn't considering at least some of those cases, core cases, but I'm not sure.
0: A tangent here, but I think it's, I think it's interesting. You said Austria. Um, you guys, y'all have a whole episode that is kind of, Just focusing on Vienna and what it means to the spy game. Can you kind of, can you give me the highlights of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, Vienna has a really fascinating history of being this, um, being a place where spying happens and is actually legal. (laughs) It's wild. It's like, I think it may be the only country in the world where spying is like explicitly legal under very specific, uh, circumstances. You can't spy on the Austrians and you can't commit violence, but foreign powers spying on each other in Austria is legal. Uh, And there's, there's a really fascinating history for that, how that came to be because Austria uh, after world war II was divided up. Control of Austria and control of Vienna was divided up between um, the power to control that Vienna was divided up between the allies. So the USSR controlled a portion, the United States controlled a portion, France, the UK, but unlike Berlin, which is also similarly divided up in, in Vienna, they left a part of the city as completely neutral ground where no one, none of the powers was in control. And a really weird thing started to happen after that. In that neutral ground, spies from these competing powers, the United States and the USSR would meet with each other in, in this neutral zone. And so Vienna became known as this place where spies could operate a little more freely. And as the as the Austrians took back back control of Vienna and and regained their independence, um, their sovereignty, they decided that they wanted to maintain this this neutrality between East and West. And that's why Vienna is one of the capitals of the world for the U.N. That's uh, one of the U.N. headquarters is in Vienna. A number of different international organizations have headquarters in Vienna. And so you have diplomats from all over the world. You have North Korean diplomats, which very few of those uh, of them are anywhere in the world are in Vienna. And so over the years, just uh, so much different uh, spy hijinks has occurred in Vienna because of this atmosphere. Like, I mean, 10 years ago, there was this, you you can look this up on YouTube. There is a spy swap between Russia and the United States that looked like straight out of the cold war. It was like two planes, on a on a uh, tarmac with people getting off the planes and walking onto the other planes and on you know the people in one plane were, were were spies from the united states coming or spies from russia coming back to the united states um spies u.s spies that had been held in russia going back to the united states at least that's what we're assuming you know the united states government has not said they were spies but essentially it was a spy swap And where did it happen? It happened in Vienna and it happened in 2012, like much, you know, we don't think of that sort of stuff happening anymore, but when, if it would happen anywhere, it would happen in Vienna.
0: And Havana syndrome happened in Vienna as well, right? Yeah.
1: Probably the second largest outbreak of cases outside of Cuba happened in Havana, right at the beginning of Joe Biden's term um, at the beginning of uh, uh, 2021, there was a, we don't know exactly, we don't know the exact number, but over a dozen cases. And it was the CIA station that was affected there. And it actually led to the firing of the CIA station chief in Vienna, um, which is one of the more important stations for, for the CIA around the world. Um, Why did they fire him? Um, or what was the given hard. reason? Uh, from what our sources told us, it was because he wasn't taking Havana syndrome seriously enough. Which is something that in our reporting we found a surprising we found we we heard that surprisingly often that the CIA for a long time kind of dragged their feet on this and didn't treat their own spies their own officers around the world well after they had been hurt with this thing just kind of disbelieved didn't believe their own people that they were getting sick with this well i think most of
0: the official public statements from the CIA have said that I would say stuff short of saying we don't believe that this is happening but just things like the CIA, CIA finds no evidence that this is the result of a foreign agent something like that right
1: Yeah that was a more recent um yeah that that was a more recent uh uh statement they put out um I mean that that that's more recent but but in kind of important context is that even is that in the last couple of years the US government has begun to treat these Havana syndrome um, patients much better. Like Congress passed uh, an act, the, the Havana Act to like give money for medical treatment for these people. So like in the last couple of years, things have gotten better. But for several years before, these people were kind of hanging in the wind, um, you know, suffering these very severe symptoms. And the the US government for the for especially the CIA officers did not support their medical care. And so we heard grisly stories about people, you know, considering killing themselves because they were just like not only were they in so much pain and 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 like their careers had been derailed but they felt like the government had turned their backs on them
0: were you able to ever get like any kind of official
1: comment from the CIA on for the yeah episode? yeah they you know surprisingly they were like we reached out to a number of different people you know the Cubans the the Russians uh diplom- diplomats State Department and I would say the CIA was actually probably the most responsive. They didn't comment on everything, but they did comment and you'll, you'll hear it littered throughout our series. Like the CIA said this, the CIA said that, I mean, they didn't, they also told us they couldn't talk about a bunch of different things. Right. But, big, yeah. big picture. Like what is, what was kind of their official
0: response to, to this, to the Havana syndrome,
1: to the, to the illness. Yeah. To the illness that they told y'all. Um, I mean, uh, their response was, uh, they, they gave people medals, <laughs> like a couple, like a lot, like they gave people medals, uh, you know, thanking them for their service, but, um, and had a little ceremony with Ma- Mike Pompeo, who was the head of the CIA at the time, but from the, the, the victims or the, the patients, the, the Havana room patients, that we spoke to felt that that was kind of a slap in the face because it came after so long of the CIA kind of treating them like shit. And and those medals were not medical care, you know? <laughs> um, and so that was, you know, their response has kind of changed over time. But, but like I said, like we've heard some pretty wild stories of, of how they were responding um, from, from doctors at the C from, a, we spoke to a doctor at the CIA who was one of the people who got sick, who, He went down to Havana, uh, he went down to Havana to to try to look into these patients about, you know, this was in 2017 and the CIA sent him down to, to see what was happening. And then he himself got sick with the very thing that he went down there to investigate. This doctor who spoke to us, he comes back and you'd think that the doctor they send down there. Who to investigate this thing, who himself gets think, you'd think they would listen to him. He's a medical professional who's been working with the CIA, I think, by that point for over a decade. And according to him, anyways, they treated him like shit. And uh, why do you think they're so
0: obstinate? Why do you think they're so, they push back so hard on this?
1: That's, you know, that's a really good, a really good question. Um, I don't know if we we didn't. That was something the CIA did not comment upon, but we we didn't and we didn't get a really good answer on that. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe it's because they thought it was so, so fantastical. I mean, that is what we heard from from this doctor. Was it before he even went down to investigate the Havana syndrome? And what he heard amongst the other CIA, the CIA brass Was was them saying things like, oh, they're acting like a little bunch of little girls. They just need to get on with it, like literally like saying little girls, you know, very like dismissive of their illness. Um, So but I don't I don't know why they didn't treat people, treat treat people better.
0: Got a question from the chat. Did anyone ever consider gases like carbon monoxide or something like this? Or the victims only ever think it was some type of high energy radiation.
1: No, they're, they're, um, they did, this is part of an investigation that they did, they did investigate gases. And something we kind of touch on briefly um, that we just didn't have time, we didn't have time to go into more depth in the series, but you can look it up is that the, this initial group of people that got sick in Havana, US officials, around the same time, a bunch of Canadian officials also got sick with something that seemed pretty similar. And, Canada's government has a much better relationship with Cuba. They are not enemies and, and have not been. And so this kind of made even less sense. And what the Canadian government did their own investigation into why so many other people got sick in, in Havana and what they they concluded that it was an insecticide that had po- essentially poisoned their people. Now, that doesn't work for the U.S. cases because um, the the essentially the cube the canadian government was allowing the cubans to spray this onto their onto their properties and the united states did not allow the cubans to to use the same insecticide so it wouldn't doesn't really pan out but even in even in uh, canada like this has led to a, co- a bunch of controversy and the people who are sick in canada the canadian government officials who were sick at least from the reporting that i've read are are pretty angry at the canadian government and feel like it was a cover up or at least some of them did did you go into this skeptical? Me personally, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I did go into it skeptical. You know, it's, it just sounded so fantastic, um, and uh, yeah, and but but through the course of the reporting and in the course of making the episodes, that skepticism that, that skepticism uh, waxed and waned. I don't think it ever fully went away, and there are certainly times when I felt more skeptical than others, and. I still don't, you know, spoiler alert, I still don't know exactly what to think. I mean, I think we, in our podcast, we talk to people who have very convincing arguments for like, what, what is behind this? What could be behind this? Um, But um, yeah, for the, for the people out there who are totally skeptical about this, like I don't, I can understand where they're coming from.
0: Yeah. My, my final question, uh, I think I know the answer already. Um, what what is the biggest mystery that still remains Uh, it sounds
1: like everything (laughs) um the biggest mystery um mm, well for me i think the most uh i mean yeah the big mystery there's still no smoking gun on what the havana syndrome is right so that's the that's the big mystery but like Let's say that it was some nefarious action on some foreign actor and U.S., um, uh, upon U.S. Uh, officials in Cuba. For these, for these, for this initial group of people who got sick in Havana and seem like there seems like it's definitely not psychogenic illness. Like there are a number of reasons to believe that these are credible, real cases and reflect some, some phenomena and perhaps some like targeted attack. Um, if, if this is the case, and then for me, the big question, the big mystery is why would the Cubans allow this to happen or why would they do the, this themselves? Because if it doesn't, what doesn't make any sense. And I think is that the, the, the Cubans were suing for peace with the United States. They wanted to regularize, uh, normalize relations. It was in their best interest. You know, you had this guy, Raul Castro at the time, um, was the president And he was very pro, uh, at least openly, I mean, um, explicitly very pro bettering relations with the United States. And the Cubans, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Cuba. It's like a police state. Like, I mean, there are are, uh, government minders everywhere, you know, like they know everything that happens in Havana, especially with foreigners. And so for if there was any type of, you know, and they're also monitoring the U.S., officials, especially hard, if you're a US official in Cuba, they are watching, they've got a team of people that's just, that's just watching you. That's like outside your house. It's, you know, like, and so if any sort of attack like this happened, they had to have known, they had to have. And why would they, why would the government have allowed this to happen when, when it didn't, it really seems not in their best interest. That is a mystery that I don't think anyone has a good answer. I mean, there are some theories out there, but I don't think there's a good answer for that.
0: Well, if it is perhaps another country that Mm -hmm. Cuba has had longstanding relationships with and doesn't want to upset despite normalized relations with the U.S., that would make a certain kind of sense, right? To Basically saying Russia, by the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the best answer to that question is one you just said, like, you're right. They have this longstanding relationship specifically with the intelligence community, essentially the key, the KGB like trained the Cubans uh, in, in, in espionage. And so, and yeah, they're a very important trading partner and friend to Cuba for, for decades. And um, so, yeah, you, you would think like if, if, The Russians pulled this off. Maybe, maybe the Cubans wouldn't say anything, just you know, because they'd want to remain loyal to that friendship. The other thing to consider is like the Cuban government is also not a monolith. I mean, they seem like that way, but there are factions within the Cuban government, and so maybe there was a faction of the Cuban government that wasn't so into this whole idea of rapprochement in the united states that maybe was like this is bullshit this is anti-revolutionary these are the imperialist capitalist swine how are we letting them come in and ruin our fucking communist paradise we got to put the brakes on this um that's that's possible so
0: yeah i mean the, con- the conspiracy version then is that russia does this because it wants to disrupt these normalized relations that would explain the timing That would explain, you know, that would explain like how cooperative Cuba was in the aftermath. Again, it's one of those things that like we may not know the answer to that question. We may be dead before we get any kind of clear answers about what any of this was and why it happened.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's true. We may be dead. But I think that one thing to take away from this that, that is really important is that like. In spite of the fact that we don't know exactly what the Havana syndrome is or who may have been behind it, if anyone was behind it, we do know the very real, very tangible effects that this has had on international relations, like – Trump used President Trump used the Havana syndrome as as a reason to pull back on those relations, on the bettering of relations. So it, it torpedoed this this like a normalization of relations. We're only starting to get back to a place where Biden is, is very slowly attempting to regularize, normalize relations again. And it made. The United States paranoid all around the world that made our our government officials all around the world scared to, to do their job. It probably stopped a lot of people from signing up to be uh, diplomats because they were worried about their health. Um, and it has made us the fact that the United States has no answer for this. So many of their people were attacked if, if this was an attack. It makes the United States look very weak. And the United States doesn't like looking weak. You know, we're supposed to be the most powerful country in the world. And it makes the United States look very weak. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying that's that's what it does. That's what happened. Yep. That's what happened.
0: Uh, Where can people find the show?
1: anywhere you can get your podcasts. Although I think right now my favorite place to listen to is Apple podcasts for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, you can find it on Spotify or any stitcher or whatever the we're everywhere. Sir. Thank you so much for coming onto cyber and
0: walking us through this. The show is Havana syndrome. Like he said, it can be found wherever fine pods are casted. Uh, if you like cyber, you're listening to the podcast yourself. We do this as a live stream. Uh, your, your people who are listening to the podcast get to miss a whole aside where I was having sound issues at the beginning of the show that's been edited out, it's gone if you wanted to see me stammer over myself live, go to twitch.tv forward slash motherboard tv or youtube.com forward slash motherboard follow us there and you'll be notified every time we go live as always, thank you all for tuning in um, we're going to have something next week that is, finally we're going to be talking about something a little bit more outside of the US uh, we're going to be looking at how uh, another regime outside of uh, America uses AI and facial recognition uh, to enforce its will. I think it'll be very interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks to everybody that uh, helped out in the chat today. Thank you all so much. Goodbye.
1: Small details are big surfaces.